Verdugo back to the pen. He oh. caught it. He took it back. He's doing everything right now. Hello and welcome to another edition of the TC and Company podcast. Tom Karen with you. Thanks so much for tuning in, checking this out as uh, the Red Sox run through this final homestand before the All-Star break. Hard to believe. Uh, 81 games as of uh, Tuesday's matchup with the Rays. It kind of snuck up on me. I'm not sure about anybody else, but it seems to have gone by quickly. Uh, so maybe that's a curse, uh, like when you say a game is moving along fast and uh, all of a sudden the rain comes out and you play 14 innings. Maybe the second half will feel very slow. But it's been, it's been entertaining, you know, to think about this team being at 10-19 and in uh, last place, uh, not only in the division at that point, uh, but I think they were 7th or 8th in the wild card standings. Uh, now to be sitting here uh, back up to uh, what 10 games above 500 and uh, in the wild card lead uh, but this is the gauntlet as we know this two-week stretch we've been talking about it four weeks uh, we get the Rays and Yankees here at Fenway four with the Yankees this weekend beginning Thursday then you go to Tampa for four then you finish up the pre-all-star schedule with three at Yankee Stadium so Listen, we know that the Tampa Bay Braves have struggled a little bit, though they had won three straight, uh, the final three games of that weird five-game series against Toronto before coming in here. So the Rays had a little something going. Uh, but the Rays, uh, like most of the other wildcard contenders, are a team with some flaws. It's the Yankees that should worry you, uh, and the Yankees that have proven themselves to be the class of, of maybe not only the American League, but, but Major League Baseball, and seven games in ten days against the Yankees going into the All-Star break is really going to tell you a lot about uh, any real uh, dreams of uh, having a deep run in October. So uh, these are going to be must-see games. Uh, Josh Winkowski is going to start uh, game one of the series against the Yankees. That'll be on Thursday, and that'll be the first appearance at Fenway Park by the Yankees this season. Hard to believe they went the entire first half of the season and only played one series uh, down at Yankee Stadium the very first weekend of the year, and they haven't seen the Yankees since. So you're going to see a lot of the Yankees down the stretch, right? You do the math, you're going to have 16 of your final 81 games, uh, 80 games to be exact, 16 of your final 80 games. 32% of your remaining schedule is going to be against the New York Yankees. So that's one out of three games against the Yankees over the final half of the season. So you want it, you're going to have to earn it and you're going to have to earn it against uh, the best. So the old rivalry is going to be back at it. We're going to talk with Josh Winkowski in a couple of moments. Uh, great conversation uh, we're going to have with him. I, I can't wait to hear him talk about uh, the art of pitching and how at 24 years old he's really shown maturity and about his comments about Wrigley Field, uh, which have not made him a popular guy on the north side of Chicago. But he's popular here in Boston because he's pitching well and winning games. We'll talk with Josh Winkowski. But first... Tyler Baronski joining us as he does to lead off each week. Tyler, how are you? I'm very well. Uh, you know, right now we're kind of like the Red Sox. We're, now, we're, we're in the go time right now, too. You know, you don't get to catch your breath necessarily in uh, game every single day for the most part besides the all-star break. But, uh, you know, just ready to go. Like you said, it's a busy time to schedule, so we're here for it. Yeah, 17 games in 17 days leading up to the all-star break. Then you got even, you know, the, the gauntlet continues after, right? Because yes. you got Toronto. Uh, is it then Milwaukee? I and think Houston? Cleveland and Milwaukee. Cleveland, Milwaukee, Houston. So it's just a bunch of teams over 500 where they're facing the, the entire month. They're all pretty month. much in playoff contention. Sure. And, and they, if you take it all the way to Houston, that takes you through the trade deadline. 
Yeah. So whatever moves Heim Bloom is going to make uh, are going to be made while you're playing this. By I looked this up yesterday. <clears throat> by winning percentage, they have by far and away the most difficult remaining schedule in all of Major League Baseball. Right. Like nobody else is even close. Sure. So again, you've done what you need to do, and and good on them. They've really uh, turned this season around. But you're going to have to take it to another level because now you're going to have to beat some of the best teams. Uh, kind of doing a little uh, first half look back with uh, the mathematical midway point. I know we talk about the All-Star break as midway point. After the All-Star break, there's only 70 games left. They've played 92 games, uh, barring rainouts, uh, in the All-Star break. So uh, this is the midway point, uh, and I guess that's a good place to start, right? Yeah, definitely. I think going into it, we all knew how competitive this division is going to be for the five teams, most likely going to be in the wild card race. And to me, it's kind of lived up to expectations so far of where I expected them to be around. Now, I didn't expect the lows of lows of a 9-13 and what 13 record in April and then a 20-6 and six in June. I wish there was a little more uh, consistency, consistency there so I could get a f better feel of this team. But um, I didn't know the Yankees would necessarily run away with the division like they have so far. But as far as, like, Red Sox and the other teams being the hunt, I, I mean, what, the Rays and Blue Jays were... Like, Game, a half a game above the Rays and then a game or half a game above the Blue Jays and a game above the Rays right now. That's kind of what I expected so far in this first half. So it's kind of yeah. Remember, up to if that. you remember Fangraphs uh, a week before the season began, their projections had a four-way tie in the American League East. Had all four teams winning. I, I think it was 86 or 87 mm -hmm. games. Uh, obviously, the New York Yankees have been the, the unexpected runaway sure. team. Nobody thought they would have a 13-14 game lead sure. uh, at the midway point of the season. So you got to give them credit because their pitching has held up. We knew they'd have the offense. We knew they had the bullpen. Starting pitching has been the question with them for a long time. Starting pitching's been good. Yeah, no, definitely. Isn't it like, I have to double check this, but isn't Garrett Cole has the, technically the worst starters ERA right. on their rotation? So Tyone, Cortez. Uh, Montgomery, they've all been uh, real good for them. Mr. So Cortez has been a big surprise yeah. to a lot of people. There's no doubt about that. Uh, so, I, you know, yeah, I don't know that there's any big surprises. Uh, the big surprise, Red Sox-wise, is just how slowly they started, right? The surprise was that they lost 19 of their first 29 games. I don't think how they're playing now is a surprise. Uh, I'm not sure we expect them to play this well, but we certainly thought they'd be better than 10 and 19, and we thought they'd be in the hunt. And now they put themselves in the hunt. So this is going to be a fun second half. No, definitely. And one thing I am surprised is how much of uh, really like the AAA guys we've had to call up and have contributed as well. We've had, uh, obviously, you mentioned Winkowski and Carter Crawford had a great outing um, yesterday on 4th of July, five innings out of relief. The second time he's done that, where he's gone, gone scoreless there. And, um, Ruff Snyder coming up from AAA and minor league signing. So that part surprised me because right now, <laughs> if you see the starting pitching rotation too of what we have right now and some of the guys banged up, you, you would uh, not think some great thoughts right now. But well, they've obviously four, held up. Four of the five starters. And yeah. Five of six if you include Sale, who wasn't here. But four of the five stars in the beginning of the year are either so, on the injured so list were, or walk as day-to-day. -day. Exactly. So if you were told that at the beginning of the year, you wouldn't be feeling so hot. But uh, they've, uh, the depth, they've held their part. Yeah, the depth has definitely uh, has built pitching depth, and that's something this team hasn't had uh, in a long time. Sure. Uh, well, what else, how about a breakout star for this team from the first half of the season? Man, i got to give some love to Nick Favetta, man. He has taken a step this season. Last year, you know, you get a good start from him, maybe five, six innings, but then like you get a clunker the next time. He only goes maybe a third, uh, three and third, uh, two thirds of an inning, give up five, six runs. But this year, man, going deep every game, only giving up well one run or less every time out. Especially at home, he's really dominant at home this season. So I just got to give a lot of props to Nick Pavetta. And it's just like when you feel like, oh, Cora's gonna put him back out there for the seventh inning. You think, okay, this is when it's gonna blow up. But uh, it hasn't this year. He's always found a way to finish the inning and gone strong. And 
uh, yeah, potential all-star. Huge or, fan. Uh, love it. Love that he was, uh, you know, in the middle of the dust up in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, Native Canadian yes. booed off the field in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, Canadian on Canadian crime. Yeah. Uh, you hate to see that, but uh, <laughs> but he, you know he didn't back down from it at all, which I love. I love, I love the way he pitches. I love his attitude on the mound. That's a great. That's a good pick. Yeah. I'm gonna go with the guy I keep calling the most important reliever on this team, John Schreiber, which if you just said before the season John Schreiber is going to be the most important reliever, you'll say, well, it's going to be a tough season. He has been unbelievable. I don't think he's given up a run on the road yet. I think no. his road ERA is zero, yeah. which is literally impossible to beat. I was going to say it's <laughs> tough to beat, but it, it's you can't beat it. You yeah. can't have a negative ERA. So uh, John Schreiber is just and, – and, and, you know, runner-up to Tanner Houck, who I think once they inserted him as the closer, and, and we can talk about his vaccination status, not being available in Toronto, whatever. Whatever. Bottom line is, he's given them the closer that they've lacked, and and the bullpen success certainly correlates with his insertion into the closer's role. Uh, but but I don't think any of that is even possible if Schreiber's not there, putting out fires, getting you as the bridge to Haug, to the ninth inning. Uh, he has been the velocity's up. Uh, there's a lot of deception there. It comes at you from the side. Uh, you know, they're talking to people around him who, who saw him in Worcester, and they knew it was going to play because he worked so hard to get his velocity up. And everything else, it's not all about velocity, but all his other pitches play better mm -hmm. because he's got the velocity on the fastball. So John 8-Mile Schreiber, a friend of the podcast, yeah. was with us a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's my pick. I will say one thing. He didn't, he didn't reference us. Jemai interviewed him after the game yesterday, and they asked a question you know, about the turnaround so far this season. And we did not get a mention, which I was uh, a little Very hurt upset. by. But well, again, remember, he was sort of the, he was a guy who was already dominating. So I said uh, it was going right. to be hard yeah. to improve, but he has because he hasn't that. given up a run yeah. since coming on the podcast. Good things ahead. I mean, yeah. you know, Josh Winkowski's probably going to go complete game, no hitter <laughs> against the Yankees sure. uh, because he's come on the podcast. So we'll see. Good things ahead for him. How about a game or a series or a moment in this season that stands out to you? Yeah, I, I kind of go back to uh, when we were in L.A. playing the Angels and Michael Walker's complete game um, shutout. We had a complete game early in the year. Nick Pavetta was the first one yep. here at home, but... Just something about that one where it's like it was a one-run game. Remember, they won 1-0, one nothing that day. So you're kind of thinking, you know, any time now maybe he gives up a run and then that's when he gets pulled. But he didn't, man. He held his own the entire time. All his pitches were working that day, especially his changeup. And, uh, yeah, that, that was just definitely my uh, stand-up moment this year. That's I a good I one. That one. And, and you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to echo uh, you by I'm going to go with Nick Pavetta's complete game. Because to me, if you remember – that was against the Astros, mm -hmm. uh, a team that uh, obviously right now might be playing the best of anyone in baseball. They've been playing better than the Yankees uh, of late. But uh, they, had, if you remember, that was he pitched the Wednesday game against the Astros. And on Tuesday, uh, Nathan Navaldi had given yeah. up five home runs in the first inning, right? Sure. It was, yeah. And it was just a disaster. Uh, had to come out of the game. You didn't know what was going on with Navaldi. You didn't know, you know, the, the crowd was shocked, and you felt like it was all about to fall apart. Pavetta comes back out the next day. If you remember, the first at-bat was a 10-pitch at-bat to Jose Altuve. He hit a home run. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you're like, oh, boy, it's going to be another really short start for a, uh, a starter, back-to-back -back days where you got to go to the bullpen. This is the beginning of the end. But Pavetta stays the rest of the game, gets 18 in a row uh, at one point, and, and just absolutely took care of business and, and kind of turned things around for the team and the pitching staff. Uh, so there you go. Uh, two complete games yeah. as our highlights. Absolutely. I think that's, that's a good, good call. One yeah. All right. And you're, don't, don't size up short. You've been a breakout star in the podcast uh, world in I the first half. I appreciate that. Let's so, go. Uh, Thank lot you, A lot of jealousy out there, uh, <laughs> you know, as they've seen you uh, uh, rise. Uh, Rob Bradford, not happy that I got you as a free agent. Uh, so, you know, there you go.
Uh, good first half. Appreciate it, DC. Right, Thank you. There you go. Uh, another one of the call-ups who's made an impact, <laughs> Tyler Bronski. Uh, meantime, Josh Winkowski, uh, what an impact he's had on this team. Uh, made that first start when he came up uh, earlier in the year. Uh, it was Memorial Day weekend against Baltimore. He took the loss, only lasted, was it three innings? And, <clears throat> you know, but it was back two weeks later, got his first major league win, uh, and has been pitching every fifth day since, and has been pitching really well. Uh, his ERA under two uh, in these last five starts since coming back, and, and he will now get the ball to start the first game of the big series against the New York Yankees. Also had some interesting comments about Wrigley Field saying it was stock standard and that it didn't match up to Fenway, which we agree with, but the uh, Cubs fans uh, did not. So we'll talk about all of that with this week's guest on the TC and Company podcast, Red Sox starting pitcher, Josh Winkowski. All right, we are joined by the most popular man on the north side of Chicago, uh, Josh Winkowski, this week's uh, podcast. Uh, we'll get to that. Let's start with the good stuff. Uh, you know, the, the, the outings here, what, the last four really, compared to that one against Baltimore in, in, in late uh, May, you get another chance like two weeks later and you've made the most of it. How good was it to get back as quickly? Like, you could have kind of sat on that for a month or two or longer, right? But you got another chance to come back. How good did that feel to come back and get results? Uh, I think the timing of it was great. Obviously, you have that bad outing, then you go back down to AAA, and, you know, it definitely sits with you a little bit. You know, usually as pitchers, it's our job to, like, good or bad, move on from the last outing. But obviously, you know, being your debut, and like I said before, I mean, I, that loss to Baltimore, I feel almost was exclusively on me. So it weighs heavy on you. Um, so it definitely stayed with me a few days, but being able to come back and kind of show the fans and AC and the guys here more of what, I believe that I can do, definitely felt good. But it wasn't a case of nerves. You said after that first start against Baltimore, it's not like it really sped up on you. You just weren't happy with what, how it went down on the mound. Honestly, like truthfully, I really didn't feel too caught up in the moment. You know, I've talked to some other guys that debut and they feel certain things and nothing bad about that, truthfully. Um, you know, I'm kind of one of those people that like once the game starts, anything outside of the catcher hitter kind of just blends away. You know, my grandma's a, when she's at the game, she yells a lot. And my mom always says, oh, could you hear your grandma? And it's like, I can't hear anything out there. It's like, you could probably be telling my darkest, deepest secrets and I wouldn't know. So um, I think it was just kind of, unfortunately, when I, you know, it happened on my debut. But as a starter, there's always a few games a year where you just, feel off physically release point or whatever it is and you're just not throwing enough strikes um, and I think for me that just kind of happened to be on the debut a little bit. A couple weeks ago John Schreiber was on and, and he said when he's on the mound it, it actually feels almost silent like everything is blocked out he said sometimes especially at the end of a game it almost kind of turns back on like the game's over and all of a sudden the sound comes back and mm -hmm. like the rest of the world comes back into his sort of uh, presence is there a little bit of that I mean you talk about being locked in on the catcher and the batter and just is the whole world gone when you're locked in like that um I wouldn't say mine is as dra quite as drastic as that um uh, I think being a starter when you have five six innings um it's kind of hard to do that for that long um you know usually when John is in for an inning or two you can really dial it in uh I don't go complete silent it kind of just turns more into like a white noise I want to say it's just Nothing like specifically comes out or I just hear noise in the background, uh, but it's not complete silence. Pedro Martinez was a guy who could pick out one guy who was giving him a hard time in the crowd. Like that would be, you know, <laughs> like he'd walk in uh, and, you know, 35,000 people at Fenway are screaming for him. One guy stood up and he'd like point to that guy. 
talking to him over the years, talking to a lot of guys over the years, when there's a big crowd, it's almost easier to block it out. It's just noise. Sometimes in some of those minor league games, mm. there's, you know, 1,200 people. You can kind of hear the individual stuff. Have you ever noticed that when there's fewer people sometimes, it's almost harder to block it out? Um, honestly, I've been pretty fortunate. I don't really think I've had any games where there was a crazy bad heckler. You get the normal, um, you know, when you're affiliated with the Blue Jays or whatever, you know, you get the fans of the Yankees or whatever, and, you know, they're kind of, Blue Jays suck, and you hear stuff like that. But I haven't, like, had any two hecklers that were getting pretty personal so um but it is kind of true yeah when you know there's only so many people i think uh when there's a lack of noise and that noise kind of shows up it definitely gets, it does get in more yeah, you hear the individual voices rather mm -hmm. than the crowd yeah, for you, sure. you may find those hecklers if and when you next return to wrigley field oh um, yeah i imagine so so you, first of all take it those like my reaction when i read it was like that's awesome this guy's got some confidence he's a, he's a young guy he's not afraid to say how he feels uh but then it kind of took on a life of its own didn't it uh i mean i you know it's all part of the business you know people want authenticity and honesty a whole bunch and then you give it a little bit and then people take it personally uh, one thing i will say i was not attacking the fans with that comment like i was mainly referencing when we first get to the ballpark on you know whatever afternoon and as a rookie, you know, you every time you get to a new ballpark, you get into the dugout and kind of look around. When I went out to Wrigley, there's no fans in the stadium, so I don't have that feel. And my first initial impression was honestly what I said. You know, it was very the lower level and then the top level is very just standard, in my opinion. But didn't mean to um, mention the fan. Like, I wasn't mentioning the fans with that comment. Um, you know, it was a good atmosphere. You know, it could definitely feel it and then obviously I don't I don't underestimate the history there but just architecturally I'll stand with my comment they are a somewhat sensitive fan base uh, you know a hundred years between world series uh, or championships will do that to a group but, but you've heard it from them haven't you oh yeah they've uh, they've been on the Twitter Instagram I check my Facebook about about every week and a half to see if my grandpa I mainly have my Facebook for my grandpa and I went on there the other day and uh, they were on my Facebook with different tags and posts that I have been on and you know it's all part of it it's you know people people think social media lets them spread their opinion at will and you know it's part of it yeah so it was a little easier 20 years ago when you just had to deal with them <laughs> yelling at the crowd you have to deal with social media uh, you're gonna get uh, looks like the Yankees right will be your next start and, and, and you get Yankees Red Sox at Fenway Park what do you think it'll be like to be a part of that um haven't really thought about that too much. Um, my start was kind of up in the air on what day it was specifically for a while. Um, kind of got locked in yesterday. Thursday? Yeah, that, Thursday. Yeah. Um, and I had a thought. I mean, I know it's the Yankees, um, but, you know, that'll probably be the first one here that obviously has a little bit of a different feeling to it. You know, it, whether it's the second week of the year or the last week of the year, Red Sox, Yankees will always have a different feel to it. Um, and then obviously that lineup is on is at a really good point right now. So probably be my personal um, biggest test so far. So, um, but I'm excited for it. You know, it's always uh, obviously special. It's their first trip here, so that's part of it too. Mm -hmm. Right? You'll be making the first start against the Yankees at Fenway Park this season, which is pretty cool. Uh, you know, is there ever a time? I mean, you're so locked in, and you talked about when you're on the mound being locked in, but you got to be locked in really every day right with getting ready for what's next but is there ever a time on the way home talking to a 
family where you get to sort of appreciate for a moment. You know, you pitched at Wrigley. You're going to pitch against the Yankees at Fenway Park. Like, this is pretty cool, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think. Or is that an off-season thing? You know what I mean? Some guys, like, in the off-season, they'll look back at their achievements. Like, you can't really do it during the process. But do you get a moment to appreciate what you've been able to accomplish so far? Um, it is kind of a weird thing. You know, I'm, I'm kind of one of those guys that, believes in the baseball gods at different points in my minor league career i've been on decent stretches and then you know you start to make a comment here and there oh, i've got the game figured out and then it's like they hear that and then your next outing is just terrible so i try to be careful with what i say and what i think even um there's been a few moments here and there i'd probably say i've had about like two or three just kind of being at the hotel by myself where it kind of really sets in and it was like wow you like pitched a really good game for the boston red sox today and then knowing the support of the fans, you know, that means a bunch. And, you know, this is definitely one of the more storied franchises in the game. So being in the big leagues in general is a awesome thing. You know, it takes you to a certain percentage of people and then doing it for the Red Sox is even more fantastic. Was there a moment on the, on the first one, the Baltimore one? Did you, did you get a moment on that mound before the first pitch? Did you get to look around or are you too locked in to be, really think about uh, that? Yeah, I didn't really have it on the first one. I honestly want to say it was probably Somewhere in my second or third game back, after coming back up from AAA, I think I had a moment there. Um, and then I can't remember the second one. I remember there was one more. Where you get to sort of take it in a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, you kind of just soak it all in and realize what's happening and just really appreciate it. It's pretty cool that uh, the guys from Worcester who have contributed to this team, right? I mean, if you're here and Seabold's here right now and, and Schreiber we talked about and, and Jaron Duran's doing what he's doing. Like, you know, there's... A lot of times, a Red Sox franchise, a Yankee franchise, right? The big, the Dodgers might get a guy or two who come up, but because of injuries and because of the depth this organization's built, a lot of you guys have gotten to contribute. How cool is that for those guys who are all part of that? Um, it's been really awesome. I mean, it's been really, like as a teammate, it's been really cool. Obviously, I'm rooting the same for everyone on this team, but you know, I can't lie when Shriver or Duran or Cutter. Or those guys do something, have a really good day. You know, it does have a little bit of a different feeling for you, you know, when you've been in AAA together. Um, but early on in this year, being in AAA, I mean, you could, personally, I saw it. I mean, it was, um, you know, you're on some minor league teams and there's a few guys. But, I mean, we were playing games and you're looking around and it's like, Jaron Duran doesn't belong here. You know, the rotate, like there was guys pitching in the rotation. It was like, this guy is just, I mean, there's no spot up here at the time, but you you can see that whoever it was is taking that step past AAA. And then, I mean, Schreiber, I saw Schreiber briefly at the end of last year, and I, I made a comment to him at the end of last year. I was like, you've got just crazy good stuff. Like, from the arm angle that he throws and the velocity in his slider, like, I mean, he's just got really good stuff, and I'm super excited for him. I mean, he's having an unbelievable year. And, and we'll get a look at another one now, Brian Bayo coming up. Mm -hmm. Did a lot of buzz about him. Uh, what are we going to see? Oh, I mean, Bayo is Bayo's just different. I mean, that's really about the only way I know how to put it. I mean, he's going to have – he's going to have – there's not going to be many starters that have better velocity than him. I mean, maybe Jacob DeGrom and a couple other guys. Like, he's going to throw as hard as anyone in the game, and he's going to move – he's going to move the ball a lot. And then he's got two-plus – off-speed pitches, his changeup and slider are both, I think, plus-plus, plus range. And then I think sometimes people think 
with the stuff that he brings that it's kind of going to be all over the place and that he's going to give free passes and the time that I've seen him he really doesn't do that he's really composed on the mound he works really quick and he makes you swing the bat um, you know he's going to walk a guy here and there we all do but his walk rate is certainly very low he tinkered with the uh, the change up Pedro which is a pretty good guy to learn about, <laughs> yeah. a change up from uh, you know it, it, when you've got resource like that and you're you're a guy you know looking up what you've done over the years and talking to scouts and stuff you you think about the craft of pitching a lot you're mm -hmm. always trying to make yourself better and you know the, the the sinker right going to the two seam a little bit over the last couple right. of years what that's done to you how do you is that the, something you constantly have to do especially if you're going to get major league hitters out to be, be be able to constantly whether it's tweaking a certain grip or adding a new pitch to your arsenal right. just trying to make yourself better that way um, I just think the game is evolving in such a way. I think, you know, you see pitchers throwing harder than ever, throwing stuff that moves more than ever, and it's the same thing goes for the hitters. You know, they're, you know, I think people see, you know, the Ks are up a little bit. I think people just assume that that means hitters can't hit nowadays. I mean, some of the stuff watching from the sideline and pitching myself, some of the stuff that gets fouled off or hit for home runs sometimes is just kind of absurd. So the hitters are evolving just as much as we are. And the one thing I kind of always reference is, you know, Kershaw lately has kind of gone more to the slider right and doesn't throw his 12-6 curveball as much, which is easily a top five, top ten single pitch of probably all time. So I always kind of joke that if Clint Kershaw is adding something to his repertoire, then I think, I think we can all work on a little something. Um, and then, yeah, me personally, like, kind of just a curiosity thing in general um kind of just always trying stuff and then this year the big thing has been to lefties obviously a lot of my stuff moves arm side so just if they can look away and just if everything for me moves arm side they can work that way really well so the adjustment for me this year has been the cutter to kind of stand them up a little bit so that's kind of been my pitch this year that I've been working on and then obviously always I like my changeup a lot. I still think it's a little hard. I almost call it my sinker too. Um, I wish I could take like a mile or two off of that. So always tweaking that a little bit. There were reports you threw a splitter a little bit. Was that the change, or, or do you play? With no, that was 2020 instructs. There was it was a true splitter. I was I mean I was like splitting my fingers on the ball because um, I mean it's been the changeup's been a long journey. I started really working on it late 2018, and then it consumed my 2019, my time in 2020. Um, I was just working out of the ton. I could probably, people always say, have you tried to, and I was, I've legitimately tried about like 30 grips, probably like 25, 30 grips. Like I could sit here, if I, we had a ball, I could show you, I've tried this one, I tried this one, this one did this, I cut this one a little bit too much. And then, you know, there's the curl your toes, the drag your toe, um, all these different things. And then kind of what made us go to the splitter, we were, I was in a bullpen and my coach put the ball on the ground and I literally picked it up like with my palm, it was like fully in my palm and I just wrapped my, I literally just wrapped it like that, just no grip, threw it and it was like still 87. And at that point we were like, yeah, there's just, you're just not gonna kill velocity. So try to try to split her a little bit. Um, had really good success with it. it is really, I mean, it is a splitter, it's very finicky. Um, some days you have it and then some days you don't. Um, and then oddly, like when I showed up to the Red Sox, the splitter is still kind of something, you know, some orgs don't really like guys to throw a splitter just because of the, for C, I mean, I, some people think there's more risk to it, some people don't. 
So coming to the Red Sox in a new org, I kind of just went back to my stock change up and then something kind of, I don't know if there was a time away from it, kind of something clicked in 2021 and have been pretty happy with it ever since. Chris Sale's about uh, 15 feet away from you. When you've got guys like that here, Michael Waka, you know, as a guy who likes to think about pitching, what's it like having guys like that in your clubhouse to learn from? Oh, I mean, it. It's hard to put words to it. It's been super helpful. Having sale during the lockout, that was extremely helpful. Um, kind of getting to pick his brain then. Um, but yeah, Waka's been a huge help. Waka's very, Waka's kind of similar to me. There, You can tell the way he approaches a game. He's got a lot of thought behind him, a lot of stuff. Um, so we've talked a lot. Nick, um, Nick saw my some of my throwing program the other day and was kind of just like respectfully asking questions on like, is there a reason for this or that? So the guys here have been um, super helpful and I can't thank them enough for it's that. It's like a master class, right? I mean, you're, you're developing <laughs> in the minors all of a sudden you're here with these guys who have been through it all. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, pitching coaches are always super helpful. Um, but like I said, the game is evolving so rapidly to be pitching with guys that have done it for so many years and are currently doing it. You know, that's irreplaceable. Chris has walked away. If you got any dirt you want to share on him now, now's the time. Oh, I mean, there's, if I even if I wanted to, I don't have anything. He generally is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He's he's an unreal dude. Such a great competitor. Oh like, yeah, he's amazing to watch and talk to about the game. Uh, <clears throat> a couple of things I want to ask you about that. That sort of the, the two week trade journey, right? Where you go mm -hmm. Toronto Mets to Boston. Was there even in that two weeks much time to talk to anybody from the Mets? Like, did you have enough time to even feel like you were part of that organization yet? Um, truthfully not. Um, I kind of have just my personality. I kind of, I wouldn't say spite is a word, but definitely, um, I've, I hold that against the Blue Jays in a sense saying, oh, like you traded me and you didn't think I was going to be a part of your long-term, um, team with like the Mets. It's almost like they never even got to see me. And it was like about seven, eight phone calls. It's almost, it's hard to blame on me. Kind of just, I haven't even like really considered myself a New York Met, to be honest. Um, so, and that uh, you talked about the time at Florida Gulf Coast. You know, you go from getting ready for a Triple A season to being added to the roster to being locked out, right? Because mm -hmm. now you're on the Major League roster. Right. When that came together, where Sale and Barnes and all those guys came together, how important was that to be able to not only be throwing but be with those guys for a little bit before the season? Yeah, I mean, it was huge from a resource standpoint. Um, you know, not being a college guy, like a lot of the when that whole lockout happens or even like guys that are in the minor leagues, they usually go back to like call their ex-college and whatever and have college buddies that are in the other um, organizations. Being a high school guy, um, don't really have the connections quite like that. So being able to go to GCU five, six times a week and know I have a throwing partner and have catchers and all that, I mean, that was huge. And then, like I said, I mean, Sale does a really good job. It's almost like the way Sale almost doesn't feel like a teacher. It's not like, hey, do this, do this. It's almost like advice. He has a really good way of doing it. Um, so having him there in Barnes and then Pavetta was always there a little bit. Um, I mean, those guys were just super helpful. You're a gamer. You, you know, Rob's talked about that with Rob Radford. I know you talked about that. A couple years ago, we had the whole group play Fortnite all the time. That was a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. All the guys were playing. Uh, is there anybody here that, that you play with? Um, Are there any partners in this group? We've got a few guys. We're kind of. Are you in a game, different league? Do you have trouble because uh, the game, the, the gaming industry is in a weird spot. There's honestly a lot of 
bad games out right now. There's kind of been a like Vanguard. This I'm a huge at my core huge Call of Duty guy. Vanguard is one of the, this Vanguard and World War Two are probably one of the worst CODs I've ever played. Um, and I just have not been playing Call of Duty this year, which is very rare for so me to play? say. Uh, I've been playing more Halo and um, League of Legends, and then solo but Counter Strike. Um, and the guys here don't quite play those games as much. Um, I've kind of been off Warzone. Um, I know some of the guys here play Warzone, so kind of just different games right now. Still how you unwind? Yeah, that's definitely that's how I definitely decompress. And at the end of the night, you know, get a few games in before heading to bed, and that's kind of how I just decompress and let everything go. All right, we ask the tough questions here on the podcast. So <clears throat> you grew up in Toledo, right? Mm -hmm. Born in Toledo. Then you moved to Estero. Uh, is it a thing about towns ending in O? I mean, you're going to move to Southboro, Marlboro, Attleboro. <laughs> we got some towns here. Uh, I hadn't really thought about that, actually. That's uh, So that's the first time you've asked that question. Yeah. There you go. I'm proud um, of you get a sponsorship from a town up here. Get Southboro yeah, that would be Yeah, that would be cool. Um, Free rent. Yeah. Did you grow up? Uh, what, were, were you a Tigers fan? Uh, yeah, it was more it was more of a Tigers that fan. That carried I think. with you to Florida. Geographically, I think Toledo's kind of is like right where Ohio and Michigan meet. But they got um, the Triple A team, right? So, yeah, then the yeah. Toledo Mudheads are there, so that always kind of also helped with um, the Tigers. And then that like the Porcello, David Price, Max Scherzer, Verlander, like all those guys. Like I was a huge fan of that group, um, so that was kind of who I always went with. And then. Um, yeah, when I moved down to Florida, it carried over a little bit, um, and then kind of at some point, being in Fort Myers, I kind of just started becoming a fan of starting pitching, to be honest. So did you go? Did you go to JetBlue, or was it City of Palm still, or did uh, you ever a little go bit of games there? Um, it was mainly yeah, it was mainly JetBlue when I got there, and then we would also go over to the Twins. So just kind of being a general baseball fan at that point. Um, kind so of give just, me, do you have a, do you have like can you give us one memory like of a Sox game you went to at spring training or a pitching performance you saw or um, kind of putting you on the spot here. But. Trying to think. I think the the first spring training game I went to, I want to, might have been. I can't remember if it was Chris Sale pitching. I can't remember who the pitcher was, but I just remember getting a ball at that game. Um, and obviously, as a younger kid, that's kind of always like the big attraction is to get a ball. So it's kind of one of my bigger memories from that. Very cool. Uh, we'll wrap it up here with just sort of. <clears throat> what you've, you know, what's changed now? It's been what this time around? It's been you're, you're closing in a month, I guess. <clears throat> you talk about other guys, you know, helping you with some things you do, your pitching routine, whatever. Anything that you have already learned that you find that you're doing differently, or is helping improve the process between starts, or things that are getting, you know, sort of streamlined for you here as you get more time with this group? Um, the routine hasn't really changed a whole bunch. I just think it's comfortability. Um, it sounds weird, but when you first get here, you know, you're not quite sure where everything is at in the weight room um, and the timing of things. You know, now I know when to show up every day and what to expect and just kind of everything is more streamlined. Um, I've got a pretty, I'm like a big routine guy and not a routine guy at the same time. It's like kind of weird. I'm somewhere in the middle. It's like I don't live and die by my routines, but I definitely have them. Um, those not superstitious? Are you superstitious? A little, like when it comes to, uh, I'm very picky about my uniform. There's like a certain pair of socks that I wear every time. And then I have about, I have like one shirt I like to throw in. Um, even like the one game we had the yellow jerseys and the shirt I like to wear is red. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I got to figure out my undershirt. Cause it's, it's been said like, if it, I like a three quarter, if it's too long, then I feel it. If it's too short, then I feel the Jersey. I'm kind of like finicky with um, how I feel like when I'm in my uniform. I get that. 
I get that. Uh, all right, so to wrap it up, you like Fenway? Anything you want to, you know, you want to get the Red Sox fans on your side here. So oh. you, you love Fenway, right? Fenway is unbelievable. Like I said, I mean, when I walked out here the first time, there's a feel to it. The ballpark is unique. Um, and you feel – Fenway gets, is very tall. Like when you're in Fenway, you feel – It's on top of you. Like very low, surrounded yeah. by it. Um, it has an amazing feel. So You're too young so to remember the old Tiger Stadium was like that. Comerica's the I, opposite. Comerica went, just spreads out forever. Really? I went uh, – funny story. I went to one game at the old Tiger Stadium. Yeah. and I, I was really young, and it was a run-the-bases day. And I ended up running the bases, and I got – back into the stands before my grandparents had made it back to where obviously they drop you off over here and then you go around and they had to make it back so I was like lost in the in old uh, the old Tiger Stadium wow. for a little bit because I ran the bases too quick and the crowd was like didn't let my grandparents get around 60 speed there it is uh, <laughs> not anymore I'm very slow even watching some of the balls I had to run to the other day <laughs> that's all right you're a pitcher get it done hey it was great to spend time thanks for it we appreciate it yeah appreciate Good it thank you thank you That'll do it for this edition of the TC and Company podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. A great look back at the first half of the season with Tyler Baronski and a really fun conversation with Josh Winkowski. Just 24 years old, man. Bright future ahead of him. Uh, and you could tell if you listen to that conversation that he's a guy who constantly tries to find a way to be better on the mound and find new ways to attack hitters. Uh, Going to be fun to watch him growing into a, a guy who can uh, help uh, a team at the major league level and, and become a really dependable arm. Uh, already doing that in their time of need. A lot of injuries. And, you know, you got you to even think that Winkowski, if everybody comes back as starters, he may well stick on this team as a reliever because his stuff plays. No doubt about that. Uh, one more week. Uh, before the All-Star break, big road trip next week. We'll come to you in the middle of it. Hope you can join us. Remember to find us wherever you find your podcast. Like us, subscribe us, uh, tell your friends, tell my friends, because I still haven't told them to subscribe. Uh, but check us out each week. And thanks for uh, joining us always on the TC and Company podcast.